said, I need a dollar. I said, a dollar is what I need. Hey, hey. said, I need a dollar. I said, a dollar is what I need. And I'll share with you my story. Welcome to the Finance Hour. Whether you're listening live on Jair or indeed on our podcast, this is the show where we try and make sense of the world of personal finance and hopefully help you make better financial decisions. My name's Ruben Zelwa. I'm a financial planner and owner at Adapt Wealth Management, a financial planning firm. And I welcome your SMSs today on 047 88 And if you're feeling uh, particularly like it, you can call the studio on 95680909. So the topic of today, keep it simple, stupid. We're going to talk about the difference between simple and complex strategies. Which one should you use? We often hear that you should only invest in something that you understand. Is that a good idea? Or if we just limit things to what we understand, are we in fact limiting a lot of our investment options? So I've got a few questions I want to ask today and hopefully you'll, we'll be able to consider that as we go through. As I said, firstly, is it best to keep all your investment strategies really simple? You'll read plenty of people out there like Scott Pape, the barefoot investor, for example. He will always favor simplicity of strategy over complexity. But as I said, do you miss out on returns if you do that? And is, it, is there maybe a, a middle ground? Is it okay just to understand the broad strategy of what you're investing in? Just an overall idea and then leave it up to other professionals to, um, to implement it. And don't worry exactly what strategies they use. If they use some sexy strategies, that's fine, as long as they're giving you the right outcome. But then also, you know, there are so many options out there. So if we open ourselves up to complexity, so if we open ourselves up to all these other sorts of different investment options, well, how do we choose? And uh, do we get um, analysis paralysis? Is that right? Or is it paralysis analysis? Analysis paralysis, that's what it is. So today we've just got uh, one interviewee, and we're going to be talking about uh, a simple building block of investments, exchange-traded funds. So I'm fairly uh, certain that this interviewee will be favoring simplicity over complexity. Uh, its name is uh, Damon, who's a vice president at Vanek uh, Asset Managers, which do exchange-traded funds. So exchange-traded funds... Uh, it's a bit of jargon, but let me just explain exactly what they are. They are uh, supposedly the most sort of simple building block of investments. So what they are is they're professionally managed investments um, that are listed on the stock market. So it's actually managed by a professional, but rather than having to complete you know complex application forms, you can just buy them and sell them on the market like you can ordinary shares. And where the simplicity comes in is that they primarily replicate an index. So most of them, not all, but most of them are just seeking to mirror the market returns. So you might have a an exchange-traded fund that just you know mimics the ASX 20, so the ASX top 20 stocks. It, it, it effectively holds equal proportion of those investments. Or you might have one that covers the ASX 200. So basically, watch that exchange-traded fund should perform almost exactly the same as what the market does. So if you hear that the market is up by 15 
points or by half a percent, the exchange traded fund should replicate that. And if it is replicating or just following an index, you expect the cost to be very low because they don't employ uh, active fund managers who are researching and analysing companies and, and seeing if they represent value. All they're really doing is just uh, they operate a really clever, complex spreadsheet that is just designed to replicate the market returns. Less their fees, but their fees tend to be pretty low. And it often depends on what index they're, they're copying. So, for example, I mean, exchange trader funds are really big in the US, and I know that Damon is going to have something to tell us about how they've exploded, but but they're really massive in the US. So if you, and that means that the prices of them, the actual fund management fee has really compressed. So for example, if you wanted to say get exposure to the top 50 or top 100 US stocks, you could buy an exchange traded fund listed here and you know, the, the cost ratio uh, would be about 0.15 of a percent. It would be really low. But if you were trying to replicate some other index, let's say another one which um, some of my clients use is, is a exchange trader fund that replicates the financials or the banks, the cost ratio might be a little bit higher. It's just more of a slightly more sophisticated sort of index. They're still not taking any particular active bets on one versus the other. And why exchange traded funds have, have uh, exploded is largely because, um, well, there are a few reasons. First of all, there are plenty of active fund managers out there that charge higher fees that are not able to outperform the index. So some of them can, but a lot of them, you know, even the ones that can will have a year or two where they outperform and then a period of time where they underperform. So if you just say, listen, I'm not going to worry about trying to pick these great fund managers, um, you know, who can consistently outperform, I'm just going to go and track the index and I know exactly what I'm going to get year in, year out. Um, So that's been a big driver of it, the cost and just the unreliability of being able to outperform the index. Now, there are obviously two sides of that story. Uh, you know, one one side is saying, look, there's no point trying to beat the index because they can't do it reliably. The other one, the other side of the argument is, is well, you know, it, it doesn't matter if most active funds don't beat the index. As long as you can be in the ones that do and you've got good enough research, um, then you should use them. And you know what? If they underperform the index one year, well, so be it. Every... Every type of strategy has its day in the sun. But I think, you know, the exchange-traded funds or the index-type investors, you know, I, I think that from the marketing point of view, they've got a really, really clear, you know, marketing strategy, which is just we charge lower fees. And people relate to that. Uh, and, you know, people also uh, have, you know, bought and sold stocks themselves and, Often, you know, they've found that, you know, they win some, they lose some, and they just start thinking after a while, what's the actual point? You know, maybe I should just capture the market returns. And that's what exchange trader funds do. Now, there are actually, because they've been around for a while, there are actually uh, other developments in exchange trader funds. There are funds that don't just replicate an index. They actually, um, they actually try and be active managers as well. So they're more similar to the normal type of managed funds. They're only called exchange traded because you can still buy and sell the units on the on the stock market uh, through a broker, just like you could uh, any other share. 
So there's been a lot of uh, progression, and I'm going to be very interested to hear from um, from Damon Gosen from Vanek Asset Managers, who are an exchange traded fund uh, specialist. Um, they've been operating in Australia for some time, but they've been around the world since the 1950s operating in this space. So we're just going to have a short break, and then I look forward to getting Damon on the phone. Damon, do I have you there? You do, Ruben. Nice to be here. Welcome to the show. Thanks very much. Thanks for coming on board. So the topic of today, Damon, is keep it simple, stupid. Uh, And we're talking about the benefits of, of simple, clean, easily understandable investments as opposed to the more complex and when it comes to sort of simple, easy to understand investments, I know that's very much the way exchange traded funds are marketed. So, can you just tell me a little bit about the exchange traded fund market? How how big is it? We hear about it exploding, but how big has it actually become? Yeah, well, it's, it's it's a good question, and it is absolutely exploding here in Australia and and globally. And so, in the in the Australian market, um, there, there's about thirty billion dollars in funds under management in exchange-traded funds um, and, and around 160 products now on the ASX. And to put that in context, like we're still well behind the US and so globally, um, and the US makes up a huge tranche of, of that, there's close to 7,000 ETFs and, and $4 trillion um, in in. in in exchange-traded funds globally, wow. and so, um, and, and the, the growth rates both globally and in Australia in terms of the year-on-year um, is just enormous. Astronomical. Yeah, what I wanted to ask you was, I mean, exchange-traded funds generally at their core they replicate an index. That's that's in general, but they, they've really morphed from that as well, though, haven't they? There are some that um, sort of create their own synthetic index, or ones that are actually active themselves. Is that? Is that something that's changed over time? It, it is. Um, there's the, probably the captural acronym or term is ETP or exchange traded right. product, and yeah. so an, an exchange traded fund um, is, is the most dominant part of the exchange traded pro- uh, product market. Um, exchange traded funds, as you say, they track index funds. Mm. Um, and there's a variety of indexes out there, and if anything from your standard type of S&P ASX um, 200 in indexes or an S&P 500 index in the US um, to, to different types of index approaches, yeah. like an equal weighted index product or factor indexes where you're mm. screening for, say, quality factors in in, uh, in in companies. So that's that's the exchange-traded fund market, but, but then there's active exchange-traded funds and yeah. more structured products as well. Um, so there's a lot to look out for. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because, I mean, indexing is nothing new. I mean, the, big, the pioneers of indexing were really Vanguard. I mean, maybe you've got something to say, perhaps Van Eck was, but, but Vanguard certainly made it very popular. Um, but they obviously didn't do it initially via exchange-traded funds. I think they've got exchange-traded funds now, but it was generally through you know managed investments. Um, but they've been they've been around for a long time. Oh, absolutely. And so a lot of the like as you say, Vanguard, um, they're they're a massive exchange-traded fund and just managed manage fund provider globally, um, and specialising in in index funds. Um, and uh, there's there's a lot of other providers out there that have got a 
deep history in, in, in the market. In, in the Australian market, uh, exchange-traded funds, as opposed to managed funds, have really taken off in the mm. last maybe half a dozen years or so mm. in, partic- in, in particular. Um, but there's been a huge movement towards passive in, um, investing. In general. To active investing yep. on the basis of... The, the stats don't stack up particularly well on mm. aggregate for active management, and so low-cost, transparent and diversified vehicles like index funds and ETFs um, have a lot of attraction. Yeah, they're getting more and more popular, and I think, you know, in some ways, um, you know, active fund managers, when they say in general they don't outperform, that's certainly the case. Um, the question is, is can you find pockets of outperformance? I think that perhaps you can, but it's certainly not guaranteed. And I guess what the index-type investments like exchange-traded funds have, well, we can guarantee you we're always going to be low cost um, and we're going to have liquidity as well. And that, that's actually the other interesting point about it because, you know, obviously Vanguard pioneered the managed funds, the index-type managed funds, but exchange-traded funds, part of, the, part of the appeal, I guess, is that you can buy and sell them just like an ordinary share, um, so you know you don't have to you don't have to fill out a whole lot of application forms to do it. But the question is, is you know just like when you buy and sell a share, you you need to have enough. You know if you're buying, you need to make sure there are enough sellers out there. So you want to make sure there's liquidity. Uh, how do exchange traded fund providers make sure that there is liquidity? So if an investor wants to go in and buy, that there's someone on the other side, you know, selling at a at a reasonable price. It's a really good question. We spend a lot of time educating um, financial advisors and investors on on liquidity in ETFs um, because it is a little bit different to a share. Like as you say, an ETF has these crossover qualities between a managed fund and a direct share in that it's a diversified fund but trades on the exchange like a, a share. Um, we, I, I might give an example here in terms of liquidity um, with a with a, an individual stock. If you had a look on your your trading screen or called your broker and said, I want to look at this very small company and, and then you notice that there's been no trading on that stock for many days, it's a very reasonable deduction to go, there's no liquidity in that mm. stock. With an ETF, on the other hand, the, 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 the main factor that determines the liquidity of the ETF is how liquid the underlying holdings mm. are. And um, so a, a good example, we have, um, we have a bank's ETF. Now, it's not yeah. a huge fund at all. It's an Australian bank's ETF. Yep. It doesn't have that many investors in it realistically compared to some of our other funds. Is that is that banks or financials in general? It's, is it it's, just, just, it's, just, it's just banks. Yep. Um, so it's, uh, it owns uh, the big four banks and uh, the three regionals yep. in, yep. in Australia. Uh, there's about 25 million under management in yep. it and, and some relatively um, small trading volumes compared to quite a number of our other bigger yep. funds. Yeah. In reality, that fund owns the most liquid stocks on the ASX. In that, yeah. um, those stocks turn over to, to the extent of one and a half billion dollars right. every a- day on the exchange. And the so, underlying investments. Uh, we would mount we would mount a very solid argument to say that's really the most liquid ETF on the exchange because the underlying right. investments are the most liquid, and so. And there's only like a small number of them in a way, so you know, the trading is easier. Exactly, and so and and the the, the real mechanism though, for, so that's that's the key determinant of liquidity for for an ETF. Mm. Um, 
the way an ETF provides that liquidity to the market is through there's market maker support. So there's right. institutions that sit in behind the ETF buying and selling the underlying securities to make sure that there's there's buyers on the other side of a trade and sellers on the other side of a trade to mm. make sure that uh, investors can exit and, and enter at the right so, price um, as, as and when they want to. But the key decision point for an investor is how liquid are the underlying holdings. Mm. So what you're saying then is if I go in and buy you know, that bank ETF, I may not be buying it from another person such as myself. I may it may actually be you know Vanek who's the um, the asset manager that I'm buying it from. Is so, that what you're saying? So that, that there's a the, the market makers that I referred to. They're um, mm. they're external um, businesses. Mm-hmm. So in our instance, we're the product issuer, and there's there's many different product issuers. Um, but the market makers are typically investment banks and investment houses and big financial institutions. Um, that step in and buy and sell um, the, the units. Uh, and what's in it for them to do that? I mean, they're, they're, you know, if I'm if I'm selling, I mean, who says that they want to actually buy? Yeah. So so there are um, so you, like with a like with a stock, there's um, uh, buy sell spreads or bid ask spreads. Mm-hmm. So there's some margin in it. Um, there. So, so the, 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 there are the, the spreads um, are how the market makers are. Are compensated, so I they see. effectively get compensated on, on, on turnover, and so they, they. So it's a little bit. It's a little bit like you know when you exchange money. So if I leave Australia and I want to buy US dollars, I get one rate, and when I come back, you know, and want to sell my US dollars, I get a lower rate. That's a that's a that's a very good analogy. Mm. I'll probably make the point for your listeners who have done a lot of travelling that uh, that. The spreads are a lot more reasonable. Than they <laughs> are couldn't be much worse. To your foreign exchange counters at the yep. airport. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Typically, you're talking like for a for a broad based Australian equities large cap type of ETF, um, uh, and there's several of those products on quite a few of those products on the market. You you, you might be looking at anywhere from point seven of a percent to point one two of a right, so percent in terms of that spread. So it's a very very tight. Um, but, yeah, but it does it does raise an interesting point that I am reliant on you know something else other than other investors. I am sort of reliant on that third party or market maker um, to ensure that I can get in and out. I mean, does that not you know um, imply extra risks because it sounds a little bit artificial? Yeah, there's um, not not extra risks, but the, the the those kind of I guess trading costs or the buy bid, bid ask spreads they do fluctuate and they yeah. fluctuate based on um, based on I guess how easy it is for the market maker to determine the price mm. their price there and so if and I'll give a very outrageous example, but if uh, if there's a huge number of trading halts in the market it's harder to get a of course a fair fair price and yep. so there'll be there'll be a bit more of that risk priced into the into the spread um, but it, every time a, a trade on an ETF is happening it's actually buying units that are already in exi- existence mm. so it's not it's not relying on new purchases of un, of the underlying shares on right. every trade um, so the units are already in existence they're being priced on the market um, and and so there's there's very little risk um, risk there, but, they, mm. but there's certainly certain certain things that 
investors should do in terms of implementing their their trades to make sure that they're getting the the, the best deal um, they uh, they can get. That's probably where talking yep. to financial advisors, absolutely, stockbrokers um, comes into the equation. Yeah, and we talk about uh, you know one of the big factors with exchange traded funds and index funds is the cost. Uh, so how cheap are they? I was just saying before that I'm I'm aware that you know, exchange traded funds that cover, for example, the U.S. market, where as you said, it's such a massive, massive market. They've competed, you know, the prices or the you know the management expense ratio, which for our listeners that's the percentage fee effectively that that's paid to the investment manager. But in those sort of large markets, the, the you know the cost ratios are very, very low, sort of you know even as low as 0.15 percent, possibly lower. Um, what about in the Australian market? What sort of costs are we looking at? Yeah, it can be it can be as low as that. Um, it it depends on the type of type of investment strategy mm-hmm. in the index. Um, for for um, the, the lowest cost products are probably uh, uh, are the indexes where there's the least amount of um, intellectual property, right. so, so to speak, um, and where it is just purely price competition and, and scale for the, mm. the product providers and that's where they're extremely low cost for for indexes that are so the lowest cost of that would be for example the US Dow Jones type index yeah or an S&P 500 yeah. um, product where yeah, um, yeah and, and, and and so typically the what we call market capitalization weighted indexes where the underlying stocks are weighted as per how big they are, mm. and and it's it, so they're, they're I guess the most common type of index, and therefore the most common type of ETF. At, at Vanek, we've got a we're not anti-market cap weighting, um, but by and large we will do alternative forms. We mm. we probably take the view or the philosophy that when the very fine people at Standard and Poor's sat around many many decades ago and drop index indexes. They were doing so to give a broad representation of what the stock market was doing and not necessarily so that fund managers could peg financial products to them mm. trillions of dollars in, in the decades ahead. And so I guess where we come at it is, I guess, from that more uh, the smarter design of investment and more investable types of index um, products. So not just, not just replicating... You know the Dow Jones or the All Lords, something that's a little more what meaningful from an investment point of view. Yeah, and if, like a, a, a very good example would be in the Australian equities market, and um, with with the Australian share market, it is a very concentrated market. So mm, the banks and the resources are yeah. what for, over forty percent. Well, that, that's right. So that, the way I kind of describe it is the top 10 stocks on the, on the market make up close to 50% of the ASX 200 and, mm. and financials are 40% and the big four banks alone are about 30%. And so when, when I say we're not anti-market capitalisation waiting for, for an index methodology, I preface that, that by saying it's a bit horse, it's horses for courses in the Australian market. We just don't think that is the most sensible Type mm. of strategy for investors, and there's there's some very clear concentration risks, and so the approach we adopt in in that particular asset class is to do an equal weighted index, mm. where um, 
zones typically around the top 80 securities all equally weighted. So we yeah. position that as a far more sensibly diversified, low-cost mm. passive holding um, as well. We, and, that, and that's just an example of yeah. a different type of index. Um, but it does mean, obviously, that, you know, one thing I was saying when the show started was, well, if you buy an exchange-traded fund and, you know, that you see the market's gone up by half a percent on the, on the nightly news, you know that you've probably done pretty similar. But once you start constructing other sorts of um, investments, you won't have that direct correlation, obviously, with with that index. It, it, that, that's right. Well, I suppose so, you're not copying the index, really, are you? No. So in a, in a, in a period where... Um, so, for instance, with that equal weight index, if, if it owns the big four banks at around 5% in total versus mm. 30% in the mainstream index... The big four banks are the best performing stocks in the market. Will will likely to, to trail um, in, in, in recent years. So we've had that strategy for three years now, and we've outperformed the mainstream index mm. around four percent per annum over the, over that time. But but it's there's periods where it'll outperform. Yeah, it's not always um, it's not always going to be the way. Yeah, and, and so just just as a weird kind of guide investors to like on that liquidity point is understand how liquid the underlying holdings mm. are of any kind of fund as the key determinant there understand what the investment strategy is and how it can link to your objectives and and what you're trying to achieve and if you're um in, uh, in, in your portfolio yeah and i think the liquidity of the underlying investments is a really good point um there was an interesting article i read uh the other day i don't know if you were across it about a, uh, I think it was a US-based exchange-traded product that um, that basically invested in gold miners in um, in you know up-and-coming gold mine companies. Yes. Did you, were you aware of that? So I, what? I, I, I am. It's uh, and it's a. I think it's a bit coincidental. It was, mm. That's actually our our fund. Oh, um, is that right? Vanek and I didn't give the background. We're yeah, I should ask about Vanek. And we've uh, and the business was. The, the pedigree for Van Eck was originally back 50, 60 years ago in mm. investing in gold. And so, uh, so yeah, we, we run a range of different gold gold funds, um, and one, one of which, which isn't available in Australia, is a, a junior gold miners ETF, um, and so, so smaller gold mining stocks. Mm. Uh, and to cut a long story short, because of the amount of success with that product and the amount of inflows and the price appreciation on gold mining stocks in the last 18 months or thereabouts. On average, a lot of the underlying holdings became too big to be considered mm. small companies as, as well. So we have the, the, the problem wasn't so much the liquidity, it was, it was potentially doing something different to what investors mm. um, expecting. Right, so that's once again it comes back you know, to the type of strategy. I mean it seems to me if you're using uh, you know, exchange traded funds and you're looking for simplicity and liquidity um, once you start going into more exotic type of or small type strategies you, you're potentially moving a bit away from what you, what, you know, maybe what the appeal of them was just to start with. Yeah, so so it, it it always comes down to the the the, well, the investment objectives and mm. how any kind of strategy um, will help you achieve those. Um, in terms of 
In terms of like with, with liquidity, those types of funds, we have very big institutional clients that will mm. use those types of strategies because they're the most liquid ways of getting exposure to that particular right. investment theme. But but something uh, uh, as uh, I guess as volatile as small gold mining stocks that is something that probably needs to be really thought about in a, in a lot of detail and monitored um, particularly um, well by investors in that type of asset class because right. it is such a, such a volatile asset class. So that's interesting. You're saying the, um, the users of exchange-traded funds are not just sort of the mum and dad investors. They're the big, the big massive funds as well that have decided, well, look, you know, we're not going to allocate all this money to active management with a higher fees. We want to get a low-cost... Um, solution. So, so even those are big sort of, I don't know, clients of yours in a way. Yeah, exactly. So the statistic I gave at the start of the um, the discussion on thirty billion dollars mm. in ETFs in Australia, in some respects, that's a little bit. Well, it, that's a massive understatement. In in that there's yeah. thirty billion dollars in ASX listed ETFs. Uh, there would be considerably more invested by Australian institutions in offshore ETFs because we've got we've got 13 funds on the ASX and, and another 70 on the New York Stock Exchange mm. and we've got some very big Australian institutional clients that yep. use our offshore ranges as well so that that wouldn't be covered in that that ASX listed 30 billion dollar statistic yeah and there's also the ability now for yeah, local investors as well to buy exchange traded funds that are listed on overseas markets as well. Um, the ability to trade on international exchanges has in- increased as well. It's not, you know, it's, just because you can doesn't mean you necessarily should. But in theory, but you know, there's actually a really, you know, really wide universe that that that, that investors can access. Uh, absolutely. So, probably as time goes by. Um as markets become more global, there'll be uh, greater uh, greater cross pollination of different different investment strategies from yep. different markets. Even even for our Australian investors here, we've three three of our funds that we have on the Australian stock exchange, uh, they are actually their primary listing is in in the US and um, and have been available to investors in the US hmm. for anywhere from five to ten plus years as well and so I guess that could happen more and more as time goes by. Alright Dan, well we're getting towards the end but just tell me a little bit uh, quickly about VanEck and where my listeners might be able to get a bit more information about what it is that you guys do. Okay, well ju- just quickly on, on VanEck, we, um, we're a, a private American funds management business we are founded in 1955 so we've got a very deep history uh, we manage around $60 billion in Australian dollar terms um, of funds under management, uh, and the biggest part of our business is in ETFs uh, as well. So where we are focused is on providing investors with opportunities to markets and asset classes that are often underrepresented in investment portfolios, all the, I guess, the not-so-much-mainstream approaches mm established investment category. So that Australian Equal Weight Index um, product, the ASX code MVW, as an example, as being something that is your, your non-traditional index product yeah. as well. So that, that's a bit about us. We're, our website, vanek 
vanecek.com.au, so v-a-n-e-c-k.com.au. There's some excellent material, both at a product level, but also just at an ETF education level in terms of the tax benefits, the liquidity um, uh, characteristics of ETFs, how to trade ETFs as, as well are on there. And um, and you'll also find contacts if uh, if your listeners want to call through to uh, to us as well to, to go through anything. Terrific. Thanks, Damon. Now, the topic of the show is Keep It Simple Stupid. So a question without notice for you. What do you believe in simple or complex investments? Simple. <laughs> I thought that might be the answer. <laughs> okay, very, Damon. Very good. Appreciate uh, the chance to talk to your listeners, Ruben, and, and, I, uh, and I like the topic as well. <laughs> Thanks very much for your time. It was... Uh, it was a good interview, and I think something that um, our listeners will have got a lot from. So thanks, Damon, and uh, we hope to call on you again soon. Great. Thanks, Ruben. See you. Good afternoon. Welcome back to the Finance Hour. It is now time for my Propeller Head of the Week. And this week's Propeller Head of the Week, I'm going to talk about a fantastic service, which is called ShareGift Australia. So you might have at some point over your investing life come up with some small parcel of shares might have been from a dividend reinvestment plan or it might be some kind of penny dreadful stock that you once bought that's worth next to nothing and you've got a capital loss so what will some people look at and say well how do I sell these and by the time you set up a broken account and sell them there's not much left so there's a fantastic service called share gift Australia where you can actually donate your shares so it could be a very small parcel of shares, say it's worth $100, it could be $100,000 worth. You actually donate your shares, They're paid. there is no fees which are paid for brokerage, and you get a full tax deduction. You can nominate the charity that you want to, and the Share Gift Australia will sell the shares for zero brokerage. They've got a panel of brokers that they use who all do their um, provider free of charge, their JB Weir, Evans & Partners, for example, so a shout out to them. But you basically get to get rid of your shares, uh, crystallize a capital loss if that's what you need, and get a full tax deduction. So let's say you've got $100 worth of shares. I said they're just floating around. Uh, if you set up a brokerage account and sold them, you know the paperwork might. by the time you do the paperwork and the brokerage, you might get $50. Or you could just donate the full $100. You do a simple form, which you get from sharegiftaustralia.com.au. You get 100% deduction. Uh, assuming you're on the top marginal tax rate, you get a tax deduction of $50 anyway. So you end up in the same situation, but you've been able to give uh, give money to a charity of your choice. So fantastic service. I highly recommend it. And that is my Propeller Head of the Week. So thanks very much for listening. I welcome your emails at rubenz.adaptwealth.com.au. Uh, feel free to check out my website, www.adaptwealth.com.au, uh, in case you want to learn a bit more about me and the sort of services that I provide. Uh, until next week, uh, thanks for listening.